there's a great Louis C.K. thing about that sort of thing, like where his daughter goes up to a homeless person and goes like, that, like Daddy, like we should help him. He's cold, like he's hungry, like, and he has to sort of weirdly paradoxically explain like no 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 like we can't <laughs> we can't help everyone like we we just have to but like obviously her reaction is the correct one like you should be helping out but he's like ah we we gotta go uh <laughs> is this an analogy for the tory government <laughs> could could work well couldn't it <laughs> can't help everyone Save no yourself. no it's not an, it's not an analogy is it <laughs> i mean because some things are beyond uh beyond redemption <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another Sunday Roast. I hope you're all very well today. Uh, we have some wonderful guests with, with us today and my co-host Alex. Um, let's start with David. David, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, David Hennig, uh, trade expert, various affiliations, um, might talk a bit about Brexit occasionally, regulation, Northern Ireland, all the subjects that we love to uh, to cover. Very good. Adrian, can you tell us about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm Aid Thompson. I'm a satirist, podcaster and all round internet bastard. <laughs> well, that's got to be the introduction of the year so far. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, my... I'm nice, you know, that, 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 that's going to be the difference between us. I'm nice and boring. <laughs> where this is going to go to. I figure I may as well give people people the heads up, like from like from this point, like it, within about 20 minutes, your viewers are going to be like, who the fuck is this Internet bastard? So I'm just going to, you know, what you say is what you get. <laughs> my wonderful co-host, Alex, can you tell us about yourself? Hi, I'm Alex. I'm a historian. I'm an author and a YouTuber with my own YouTube channel, The Political X Show. And Max, my beautiful co-host, tell me about yourself. <laughs> I'm Max. I have the I run the Robespierre channel. I talk mainly about UK politics and in particular Brexit. So I, I think we can start off on that topic of Brexit. Uh, David, how is it going? Um, yeah, long <laughs> pause. Um, well, we're three years now, and this is the this is the uh, this is the thing with with three. We celebrated the three year anniversary. I was on a Eurostar train to uh, to Brussels. I came back. In fact, uh, it's not so bad that I, I you know I had to flee the uh, the country at that point. But it's it's not going well. The uh, the, the 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 Bank of England uh, discovered that, uh, however badly they thought it was going, it was actually going worse quicker than uh, than they thought. Trade was. Uh, isn't, isn't, it, it was... isn't it better to tear off that uh, that sticking plaster before? No. Quickly, choices. <laughs> uh, how much of a, how much of a uh, steam blaster it is? So yeah, all in general, it's going better. And and the sort of the what we're now so supposed to do about it is sort of getting uh, get, getting wilder. And this is I'm going to go dive straight in on the on the on this one. My my favourite example. So apparently, what we need to do to to get over Brexit is we need nimble regulators. So we need to be giving our our regulators uh, scooters, getting them to do uh, yoga, you know, getting them to uh, you know run run around a lot. You know that that's that's what we need. We don't need regulators who are going to make you know make us safe or deliver uh, you know what what people want or even keep the you know cost out of business or whatever whatever you think regulation is about. No, we need to be nimble. So uh, they, 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 there you go. Nimble is all we need. As long as we're nimble, apparently you know Brexit. Well, you know it won't cost much. Maybe we'll even get the benefits from from nimble. I'm just in in my head. I'm still trying to get around. Why do you want a regulator to be nimble? <laughs> is that is that like um 
uh, politicians speak for like because we have such a deluge of regulation that we need to tie up nice and neatly by the end of is it the end of this year so the way that they respond to that is like be nimble <laughs> be quick 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 well yeah, yeah i i mean i suppose this is this is the retained eu law bill in which a an unknown number of regulations and it really is an unknown number of regulation it was 2000 could be 4000 who knows how many in some way uh, have something to do with the fact that we were once EU members. I mean, not surprisingly, given we were EU members for, uh, you know, for, 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 so, for so many years, um, in, in some way, lots of them, and they are all probably bad, or at least that's the, the, the starting assumption is, these are all bad, these are all holding us back. If it wasn't for these, we would all be walking on gold pavements and we would all be so rich, we wouldn't know what to do. So if you just get rid of them all, um, that, that's what's going to happen. Only a few pesky people are sort of suggesting that that's all a load of nonsense. Like, well, anyone who studied the bill, every business involved, but all politicians, even David Davis, the Conservative MP, former Brexit secretary, who has now said, in fact, that... And, and thinks, negotiator. And negotiator. But he says that officials in Whitehall uh, handling Brexit were to use the word crap. We knew all the negotiation. We knew all it. Do you know what they told us in Geneva when I was yeah. there? Right? They said, what about your President Trump then? Your department is he lying? Your Department for International Trade in right. the United Kingdom. You've got virtually a whole team of kids, they call them, right. virtually living here in Geneva in Switzerland. Right. They come into our building and they don't even know the right questions to ask. The average age is about 30. They're straight out of uni. They've never negotiated any trade deals before in their lives. Right. And so those it, are the people so that you reckon are going to negotiate all these wonderful new trade deals. We've, we've hired 100 new trade negotiators over here, we're down the road in the Department of International Trade. 100. The United States have got over 800, over 900. So Canada have got 800. So why are you not hiring? Why are they not hiring anymore? Because they don't exist. No, but they've tried. Okay. The adverts are out there. Nobody wants to come and try to negotiate these kind of trade deals. Handling Brexit were, to use the word, crap. Isn't that the same David Davis who turned up at the negotiations without a piece of paper and a pen? Oh, no, that was genius. That was not crap, obviously. You know, okay. they, you know, they, I they think, apparently... Like, you know. I'm, I'm here for it. I like the... Like, it's so rare to find Tories who are self-deprecating and able to reflect <laughs> that for somebody like David Davis to go, like... Like, well, I think the problem was that we negotiated it badly. Like, it's not... Oh, like, no, that's not the closest him, you're going to get. He was, he was brilliant. It was everybody else. Yeah. Everybody else was crap. Yeah. Spoken like a true narcissist. <laughs> yeah. I was just about to draw a parallel there between that. Like, it, it's quite Trumpian, isn't it? It's like when, when something goes well, it's my success. When something goes badly, oh, everybody else fucked up. Why is it in, in Europe regulation is considered positive, while in Britain regulation is a dirty word? Maybe not in Britain, but for at least for people on the right or the Tories. It, it's a really, it really is a dirty word. While here in Europe, we think of regulation, this is good. You know, safety regulations or employment uh, protections, oh, right. environmental ser protections. Ser serious, serious bit here. Um, regulations have been increasing in every single uh, democracy for many, many years. Uh, partly it's about safety, doing doing things right. Actually, a lot of it was about 
making sure markets were fair. So a lot of regulation came in when the government stopped providing services. Now, you may think it's only just that the government stopped providing services now. Uh, obviously, uh, in view of the, uh, the strikes, the fact they don't pay people, obviously, the government has completely stopped providing services in the UK almost, as it seems. But anyway, they, this was happening bef before that you had this shift towards regulation. And in the minds of uh, lots of supporters of Brexit, because this happened at the same time as we were members of the EU, it must have been the EU's fault, not that every other country was doing it as well. So you go to Australia, you have regulations, you go to US, you, ha you, have, uh, you, you have regulations, not so many at federal level because they have the same uh, sort of neuroses, but at state level, you have millions of, uh, of, of, of regulations. So this is an entirely normal thing. It's become a almost accepted part of government. Except in the UK, seemingly, where this is somehow something very weird. You actually get the same politicians saying we have too many regulations, then calling for regulations in areas that, uh, that they're interested in. So the classic example of this is Ian Duncan Smith, who says that regulations are terrible, we should definitely get rid of them all. But I think that gambling is a problem when we should have more regulations on gambling. Well, I happen to agree with half of that. But you can, <laughs> he can't see that there is a problem here between the two parts of his statement. It's it's interesting as well because they haven't really put any regulations on the money laundering going on through London. Haven't really put any regulations on all of Putin's mates chucking money all across London and into the Tory party. If you looked at the sky, just on a slight segue, because we'll go back to the economy, but on a slight segue, I think it was in the sky report when they were looking at donors. I think I added it up. It wasn't reported, but I added it up because I could. I, there's a list of names that you can find of Russian donors. Story party, according to Sky, have given about two point Russians connected to Putin have given two point five million to the the mm. Tory party. Yeah. And you're like, no regulations for that, but well, plenty of regulations to stop you from protesting and free I speech mean, and anti-trans. But it, but even then, I mean, actually, you know, there are regulations on these things. So anybody who's transferred money between countries will often find they have to fill in paperwork to do it to show that they're not front, you know, that they're not fronts for for drugs or. You know, whatever mm. else smuggled between countries, lava lamps. I'm not quite sure what gets smuggled <laughs> these days uh, between uh, countries. Um, all hail the lava lamp. All hail the lava lamp. Yeah, so you do have. <laughs> I mean, you even you have regulations on uh, donations to um, to political parties. That has, you know, they're, they're actually there, um, but those regulations don't, on the surface, appear to be um, working as well as they might. So the serious question is. How do you make regulations work? Because, you know, how do you stop, uh, you know, dubiously uh, connected people from giving large sums of money to uh, political parties and getting something in return? Not that that could ever happen, of course. But how <laughs> do you stop that? Uh, it would be a reasonable question. Uh, a completely silly uh, answer is let's get rid of all regulations because they're all bad, particularly if they have the word Europe in them. Yes, mm. pretty much. So you can get a. You used to be able to get a golden visa, and that's that's the one thing they have retracted. But you could get that within five years if you're a multi-millionaire. So if you said you set up a company within Russia, and I wanted to pretend I was a bad guy, I could then say, right, I want to set up a company in Britain as well. And you could say, right, I'm going to go to the government. I'm going to say I'm a Russian. I'm a billionaire. I've made my money in Russia. I want to expand my business into the UK. I want to set up a company. You could set up a company over here. I mean, in literally in about 10, 20 minutes online. It's quite crazy. You can put down any name you want. And on top of that, if you've got someone who's savvy enough, you could then go over to the Caribbean island that I'm thinking of is Angola. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's it. If you've got about 10 to 20 grand, you can set up a bank and a company over there. 
that company can then buy your company in the UK and then it's a shell company. And then all you do, I mean, I thought about this. I thought, well, couldn't you just charge a service fee? You just say, I've had a meeting with someone and I'm going to charge them £100,000 for that service fee. Because the services are so subjective as to what you do. I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but if I'm being a bad guy, I reckon I could go through all of those processes uh, before they change the law with the golden visas. And they probably are now doing security checks on all Russians coming over. But I could have done that before all of this kicked off. And I could be embedded in British society within five years with minimal checks. This is not where, incidentally, I mean, you seem to know a lot about that. I'm just <laughs> slightly suspicious about that. The, the, the bit I'm questioning is the fact that it's definitely not Angola because that's in that's in Africa. I think you're thinking of, kind of the British Virgin Islands or, yep. you know, um, but actually there, there Antigua. Uh, well, Antigua, Pat, and 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 yeah, and you can you can hide your uh, you can hide your ownership, and there are, apparently there are lots of things one can do about it. But anyway, I'm not an expert on this. I've, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I've I don't think I've ever laundered money. I mean, you never know because sometimes you forget to pay your taxes, and it's only when you become chancellor that you you find that oh, I need to pay my taxes. But to, to the best of my knowledge, I've never. Uh, I'm just trying to get. I'm trying to get a rise out of Adrian here, who's set himself up as being this incredibly unpleasant person. Hasn't said anything unpleasant so far. <laughs> you know, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do your job for you. Yeah, yeah. It is possible to research all this stuff, but I do have a beard that does tend to associate itself with Russia. Although there's three of us on here with beards and one that doesn't. So who really is the person that should be, we should be suspicious of? Do you really trust people without beards? Well, people with beards have something to hide. Normally, it's a double, <laughs> not a double chin. Let's be on our side. <laughs> well, that argument's gone out the window. The FCC, no, the FCA was mm. quite interesting because uh, I instantly thought of the FCC, which is in Eminem's lyrics, which ironically sounds really similar because he starts lambasting them for not letting him be who he wants to be. I'm yeah. not gonna, I'm not gonna rap. Don't worry. I've got a British accent. It would sound horrible. <laughs> um, who who but, regulates this podcast? I mean, just, just out of, out of interest. <laughs> Who's regulating you, Max? <laughs> no, we're completely free speech. There's no regulation whatsoever. <laughs> Do you feel, a, a, on a more serious note, does anyone feel as if this could replicate the issues that took place with 2008 and the mortgage crash, which took place obviously in America? And there was mm. a lot of criticism of Gordon Brown um deregulating and allowing so a is... lot of money to be moved around or is this like something that we shouldn't be too worried about and that they've learned their lessons i wouldn't trust the conservatives or the city as far as i could throw them with regards to that sort of stuff like it's it, in in terms of drawing a parallel with 08 and, and the like financial environment trading buying mortgages junk assets in like 07 and 06 beforehand i don't know if we're quite in that situation but but it's it's the same sort of thing, like in terms of there being regulation for good reason, uh, which is what David was alluding to before. It's like we need regulation to make uh, trading environments safer for customers, for companies, so they're less likely to fall, so they're less brittle. Um, uh, but then inevitably, along comes a politician who's got pockets stuffed full of dollars from, you know, whichever weird and wonderful lobbying firm or second job or donation outfit. 
who then says, oh, it's, it's time that we, we've got to get off the city's back. We've got to cut regulation. We're not part of the EU anymore. We can do our own thing. Yeah, away with the red tape. And I, like it scares me where that will end because we do have these uh, mechanisms, these checks and balances for good reasons. And you, you're talking about sort of 07, 08 mortgage kind of stuff. But it could just as easily come back to bite us in the arse in a different industry. Um, I mean, we're already seeing that with like water safety and like hygiene and shit, like going out into the harbours. We will see it again, I'm sure, given that we're a service based economy, that the, the big breadwinner for the UK is financial services and professional services. The idea that we're not going to cut red tape in that one breadwinner industry to try and keep up with like Frankfurt and Paris and like is fantasy. So I like Relax. it worries me where that's going to end. We might well like and end up cutting red tape and selling junk assets. I love I love the phrasing there, by the way. It was fantastic. Water hygiene and shit, he said. And I, I think he meant <laughs> shit in the sense of any all manner of other things. But actually, it could have been shit literally because I think that that is actually literally what is uh, what what is happening. Yeah. The boring bit again is that actually, you know, oh, we need to catch up by uh, cutting our regulations. Doesn't work for two reasons. Uh, one, if we want to actually trade with these other countries, they have their regulations and we still have to meet them anyway. Mm. Number two, um, most trade and most business is actually being done by larger companies. And slightly surprisingly, I know this, this is also counterculture and something that the left can have a problem with, is that they believe that all companies are intrinsically corrupt. Not actually true. Most companies mm. have to go to great lengths to actually prove that they're not being corrupt. And they want regulation because um, if there's if there's not regulation, they're going to be undercut by the by, by the genuine, uh, you know, uh, bad, bad players. And I think this is Gresham's law, if I, if, you know, if I remember my uh, my various things, that you know, bad money drives out good or something like that. They're actually terrified. They want regulation, and so you actually get a government, conservative party, that says it's on the side of business, but actually, business doesn't want what they're what they're doing. Mm. No, it's um, I, I I thought there was an interesting analogy with PPE. That mm. was deregulated. That was mm. heavily deregulated. Anyone could pop in. And you tended to get to the top of the queue if you were mates with the Tory party. There was no regulation. And it's always interesting because you always hear the Conservatives turn around and defend that and go, oh, it was a crisis period. It's like you only planned every seven years for what would happen in a pandemic. And you might go, well, it's a once in a lifetime thing. And then I'd go, well, you planned for the Queen's death every th three times a year. So it's like, where's your priority here? These things do happen. Yeah, but the, the, the PPE scandal seems to be limited just to the UK. I, I've had a look around Europe and I haven't seen anything equivalent to that. Um, oh, wow. there, 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 were, there were problems of, um, you know, uh, there was a, the bigger issue here in Europe, uh, in, in Italy in particular, was there was a lot of money spent on stuff that was no longer needed after the pandemic. Um, in schools, for example. But, that, but there, there is no connection to corruption there. But in, in Britain, it seems, yeah, if you were, you donate to your local Tory MP, even £5,000, and then you're you're given, uh, you know, access to the VIP lane. That's what gets me, man, is like, how fucking, like, how cheap is it? Like, you I, I've, it. Said, I've said before, the best return on investment, go to your, go to your local bank, say, I want to invest in my local Tory MP. How much do you need? <laughs> Five grand is enough. Okay. Um, money in the bank, you know. Yeah. Excuse it's the like pun. Pay 
paid, I think it was £10,000 for a tennis match with Boris Johnson. This was going back about three or four years ago. That you as a party have been taking far too much money, Russian money for far too long. And there's the case um, of the lady Lubov Chernukin, Chernu, who paid £160,000 to have tennis, a game of tennis with you. Yeah. Well, Did that I, game actually take place? Can I, can I just make a point about uh, this whole um, anti... I, I'm You're going to say good Russians I, and I, bad Russians, I know no, that. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am, actually. Uh, it is possible for our law enforcement agencies to deprive him to deprive him of his wealth with an unexplained uh, wealth order. Uh, that, is a matter for, that is a matter for the authorities. It's not a matter for me. And it is very, very important now, because I'm getting a lot of pe people are, uh, emailing me from, uh, from Russia who feel that, uh, that they feel that They're Russians... Okay, yeah, no, it's very, very important that we stress I agree with that, sir, but that I, I, Russians, the Russians themselves I just, are, are in no way the object of our wrath. I accept it is that. Not I, just, the Russian I just people. want to pursue we this have particular no quarrel, case, We I have may. no quarrel with the Russian people. Did the tennis game actually happen? It did. It did. Uh, somebody paid that. I think, actually, if memory serves, Russian. don't quote me on this, this was the wife of Putin's ex-finance minister. Yeah. She was yeah. Russian, right? And she's become the biggest donor to the Tories over the last, like, decade, I think. I think I'm right in saying that. I hope you I'm are... not flood flooding your podcast. No, 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 no. Um, I've heavily researched this. You're absolutely... It's more than 10 grand, though. It was about 100. But what, what about for those of us yeah. who live in London? I mean, we're just being left behind, those of us who live in London, and we don't have Conservative <laughs> MPs that we can give money to. I mean, I'm now feeling discriminated. Well, 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 there is... There's a get-out. If you don't have the money to throw at your Conservative MP, what you do is wrap yourself in a Ukraine flag, and then they'll give a fuck about you. Fuck <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the safety valve, just in case. No, no, no. I've tried this out. I've tried. No, I've tried that as well. I'm sorry. This is just, this is just not. This is just not working. I if you don't have an if you I don't have an MP, take... there might there might be a councillor. Maybe you, I think I'm going to take could... a complaint to. Who do I com Who do I complain to that I'm not being allowed to be corrupt? <laughs> There's obviously some reg regulation around there that's There's forbidding you to down with the regulation. Well... Well, can, interestingly, can, can, according, oh, according to Led by Donkeys, Jeremy Hunt was 75k. Rishi Sunak, I think, was 10. Mm. That was given to oh. Russian, Russian donor, the one that's trying to put a pipeline in, a data pipeline in Brighton at the moment. But basically, he's financed tons of Tories all, all across the country, five grand, through his company. Five mm. grand here seems to be the, the baseline. And then if you're a little bit higher up, like Jeremy Hunt, I think, was 75, and Rishi Sunak took 10. And you're just like, what's going on? But, but this but this brings us back a, a little bit to the regulation. While in the past, if you wanted to corrupt a corrupt a politician, you met in a car park, you handed them a brown envelope st stuffed with cash. But now what you do is you set up a company and you donate to the party. And and the politicians are very happy to say, yeah, look, it's all transparent. There's n there's no corruption. There, it's it's transparent because you can see it. That's mm. their argument. You can see it, so it's not corruption. This company well, donated to me. It was an announcement inside Parliament by an MP saying that we dropped down the corruption rankings by five or six places recently. I think that was this week. Well, I think it was mean, a Labour MP. You mean we're more corrupt now than we ever have been before, right? Uh, we're more corrupt than we were. I don't. Yeah. I'm not, like in British history, I'm putting on my history hat here. I'm not aware of any 
level of corruption being at this level before. I mean, look, and some of the, the regulation is actually allowing us to have access some of this information. So, you know, one of the one of the good things about the regulation is that actually, you know, when on, on that rare moment people get found out and then they actually pass regulation to say, right, we actually should set up registers and things. It's the fact that they're not entirely complete or the rules aren't complete, but actually uh, we get a lot of information on who is uh, on who is donating. And, you know, um, you know, unfortunately, money will find its way into into politics. So that's where you're just going to carry on needing regulation. There is this idea around. There's always been this idea around. What about trust based regulation? We just all trust that everybody wants to do good things, and we're all nice people, aren't we? And um, yeah, show me where that's worked. Yeah. <laughs> well, we 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 did try that during the Victorian period. Uh, Revol Industrial Revolution took place. We didn't have legislation because. It never happened before, at least within recorded history. We've never had this type of change. And so we've got industrialists, um, I think from Derby, I think it is the Derby family. But they were literally, they literally wrote books on why there should be no regulation. They were saying it's worked so far, had a massive industrial revolution, should be able to do what I want. Uh, why is the government interfering? Um, it's worked so far. And then you look into the detail of what they were doing within their factories. They were literally locking people up. In, in the factory, they were lying about age, so they would get orphans in and then retain them for an extra year of work in mm. the, by changing their birth certificate or claiming the birth certificate. But, but, but that's okay. Sorry, no, that, but I, I, was, yeah, I was going to say that's okay. Yeah, sorry, that's, that's okay because they were gentlemen. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wondering about this uh, about this podcast. I thought I was locked in here. You mean I can leave? Of my own <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when I press the button, it will release the it will release the locks. Release, release either the uh, doors or, or or the sharks. That's you actually think you're in your home. You actually think you're in your home. It's actually a studio. <laughs> we, we you like how we recreated your home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, can, can we talk a little bit about Boris Johnson uh, at the Atlantic Council talking about how once the Ukrainians have won then yes, they should begin the process of induction both to NATO and, of course, to the EU. Yeah, that was an interesting one, wasn't it? He was... Uh, so yes, the, the, the quote that's doing the rounds on Twitter that, that I saw was that he is supportive of Ukraine joining the EU, and obviously that's completely at odds with his stance of the past, suggesting that we need to leave the EU to regain our sovereignty and take back control and so on. So everyone is rightly mauling him on social media. Like, it's completely fucking ridiculous. To have him there as the embodiment, the mascot of Brexit, sitting there cheering them on to join the EU, which, by the way, I'm supportive of. Like, I think they should join. I'd like to see us rejoin the, the EU. But it, it sort of speaks to this idea that he just doesn't have a principle in his body at all that he will cling to. Everything is two speeches. Everything is duplicitous. Everything is self-serving. And it's absolutely infuriating. Do you think he believes what he says? No, no. He does, he does have a principle. I think that's most unfair. He does have a principle. Go, go ahead. You have the you have the floor. He has a principle that is self-serving. Oh right. For a minute there, I was going to say, "Oh, this is going to get interesting." Most, most people have not got that level of principle, I mean, and he's very dedicated to it as well. Yes, I mean, you're right. His his in his marriages principle. as well. You know, and and not not just that. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna really leap down the rabbit hole. Does anyone really think that Boris Johnson is against the EU? He wasn't against the EU. He had no view on the EU. He went to, he went to, didn't he go to the same kinder, kinder school in Brussels 
as Ursula von der Leyen, the commission president. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, he is, instinct- he is the most instinctively sort of European of any uh, of, of any prime minister we've had for a lo- for a long time. But because the principle is self-serving. Yeah, which I, 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 I've said on the channel, my channel as well, that, you know, if it if the vote had gone the other way, Boris Johnson would be touring European capitals talking about how a wonderful European statesman he is. Mm-hmm. He'd be, he'd be yeah. embracing that. But it does feel like he's going around like he's the prime minister i mean if i was rishi sunak i'd be considering getting the whip off him and so, chuck him out of the party because he's literally gone off on his own that is and just decided that he's going to be a statesman because he's done tours everywhere that's an sorry, interesting but... one yeah sorry just to interject there so my theory on that is that he knows he has to wait for the outcome of this committee uh, about whether he absolutely definitely did lie to parliament <laughs> uh uh, wait, hang on. Can I talk about that? Because that's t- it's kind of an ongoing thing. I hope I'm not well, getting anyone. Well, we know he did lie. So like, right. we have evidence yeah. of We're him fine. lying. Yes. I'm shocked. I mean, this is the thing. Like, it's like he has the gall to contest with our money, £200,000 of our money to contest these charges when we know that he stood there. It's like it's on tape. Him saying he doesn't know anything about any parties, that all guidance was followed. We know that the guidance wasn't followed because he got a fine and we know that he was at the fucking party because he's pictured there holding a glass of wine case closed right but he has to wait to the end of this committee hearing to decide how long his suspension is going to be and if it's less than 10 days he gets to stay on and at that point he will make the challenge probably to rishi sunak given that he's got a million pounds of funding from this it magnate chris someone or other um i can't remember his surname now chris farmer parker something like that anyway sure. um but he can't do anything until that all concludes. Now, what he can do in the meantime, and what he absolutely must do in the meantime, is further cement this idea that he is a statesman, that he is a leader. So he has to keep himself in the papers. He's got to be in the headlines. And that's why you see him flying off to Davos. That's why you see him going to Ukraine to meet up with Zelensky. And that's why you're now seeing him do these tours on Fox News and blah, blah, blah. And it's all gearing up to the end of this committee. Then once he makes the leadership challenge, Rishi Sunak's lot will be like, don't don't go with Boris, stick with Sunak. And Johnson's lot will be saying, well, who's the statesman here? Like, who's whipping up the air miles, flying? Who's meeting Zelensky? Who do Ukraine love? Who's at Davos with the World Economic Forum? Who do you really want that's a world leader? What was he doing over the same time that Johnson was off doing this? And then they'll pan out and they'll go, oh, fuck, yeah. Sunak was flying from London to Leeds. That's his geopolitical credentials. Question. Yeah. Question to that, Adrian. Mm. I mean, given what you said earlier about your your character set and whatever, and given what you've now said about Boris Johnson, are you his agent? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. With his, the amount of money he's making at the moment, no, does, it, thinking, does it look like I'm making out. Boris Johnson money? <laughs> you just laid it out perfectly, and I'm thinking that somebody who was really, you know, had those character traits you were claiming to have. What's the worst thing you could do to, uh, you know, to humanity right now? You know, it's plot to get Boris Johnson back as prime minister. Well, well you press the button, press the button, press the button. <laughs> you've just you've just tapped into my other like my my catchphrase I keep wheeling out at the moment, which is like the worst thing that could happen for British politics now is that Boris Johnson comes back and becomes prime minister of the UK again. And so obviously that is what is going to happen. <laughs> so, so there's two two things to three things to that. First of all, that party gate was completely fabricated yeah 
which yeah. is nuts. I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't understand how he can come out and just say it's all made up when you've got the police, you've got the Super A report, you've got backbenchers and clear public opinion plus police fines all saying you were at a party and you were in the capital of parties for the whole of COVID. So it's it does feel like we're in, we're watching something from another universe. The the thing with that is just to to jump in. Um, mm. I think it seems insultingly like gaslighty when when you and I see shit like that, right? We, we're like, how could anybody fall for that? How have they got such gall that they would go on national TV and then deny that Partygate was ever a thing? And you know we've got it on tape and we've seen this and you've admitted this and blah blah blah. The the problem isn't providing evidence and logic that disproves what he says the problem is that half the fucking country are morons and will just like put it on in the background and they and they love boris and they love nadine and they love talk tv and they like it would be on a sort of audio wallpaper in the background and when he says oh well it was all fabricated they'll just want to believe it they won't I'm, give I'm, it any I'm, critical thought i'm gonna defend the public i think the propaganda in this country is damn good to mm. the point where it's ridiculous. And if you pigeonhole yourself by reading certain papers or visiting certain sites over and over again, you've got two people that are extremely good at rhetoric. You've mm. got Nigel Farage, who can hold his own. I mean, we, I agree. All of us here would agree that it's total garbage what comes out of his mouth. And we'd all agree that Boris Johnson is. But it's also arguable that they're very good at what they do. I mean, Boris is sharp as anything when it comes to making analogies with food. I don't know if anyone else has witnessed that, but a lot of the stuff he says on TV is food-related. Apparently, the theory behind that is it's relatable and everyone can pick up on food, which is why he does it. And you're like, right, okay. He can actually make any topic of conversation listenable because he's figured out certain uh, tricks and techniques to be able to be engaging all the way through. Mm. That's why Rishi Sunak seems completely boring, but he's probably just as bad. Uh, I've got to be careful here. He's probably on the same sort of level as Tony Blair in terms of how he talks, his structural sentencing, the way he's operating, the way he has debates. I mean, when I watched him on Wednesday, I was like, might as well have been, I could close my eyes. and I could have thought that was Tony Blair having the debate there and the way he was like, hammering the points but boris has got this horrible ability to be engaging and hold audience attention mm. so i i've got to can, defend can, I, can I just a can, can i just note just Sorry. note one thing that you said there you talked about sunak and then mm. you said boris and this is this is part of the problem is that we, we refer to him as like you know we, by his first name we talk about starmer we talk about blair we talk about everyone else but we don't what when it comes to boris johnson we don't say johnson we say but like generally we say Boris and this is part of his appeal in a sense he's able to connect with people and people refer to him by his first name and this is um this is how he has uh, bamboozled the public as well yeah. do, you, do you think that's like because I've, I've heard this a lot and, and sometimes when I follow like Alistair Campbell's tweets he will make a point of saying stop calling him Boris he's not your mate right <laughs> but I always think like the reason, I mean, half of it is possibly this affable kind of blustery character and maybe people do look at him like he's someone that they know. But I also think as much of it is about that the name Boris is more specific than the name Johnson. Like if you say Johnson, people might go, wait, who, wait, what, Rachel Johnson, like John Johnson, like 
Whereas Boris, if you say Boris, there's only so many, like him and Boris Becker, right? And if you're talking about politics, you're going to know it's Boris Johnson that we're referring to. So I feel like it's, there's a bit of that to it, maybe. So I've got, I've got a sort of, sort of follow-up to, uh, to, to, to this. is one of my pet, pet peeves. There's an organisation called, well, it depends. It's called Taxpayers Alliance. It's a pretty, it's a Tufton Street kind <laughs> of group. But it's always referred to on the press as, in the media, as the Taxpayers Alliance, which suggests that it's all of us. All of us, because we all pay tax. It's nothing to do with all, all all of us. It doesn't even publish its uh, its donations. And surprisingly, for a taxpayer's alliance, didn't seem to have been terribly concerned about uh, whether Nadim Zahawi had paid his taxes or not. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's but it you know those those name things do you know do work. But I, I mean, I suspect in some in some cases, it's a sort of natural situation that is then exploited by um by by people in 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 their in their way and boris johnson has exploited that first name uh, that first name recognition but incidentally one other one other point um for all the terrible things that he's been doing i actually don't object to boris johnson being in the us telling uh, telling republicans that ukraine is actually worth supporting because goodness only knows what Republicans in the, uh, in the in the U.S. might do if they were a full if they were fully in uh, in in power. So if he if he wishes to uh, to to do a, a trip in support of Ukraine, well, that's you know a happy byproduct of your evil plan, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> does it does it? <laughs> I don't know. Does it feel to anyone? Because Tucker Carlson did a spiel on Boris. He attacked him. Boris Johnson is a famously articulate man. He's the kind of guy who can quote Aeschylus from memory in a dinner toast and still make you laugh. So we figured he was perfect. If there is one person on earth who might plausibly explain how a war between nuclear armed Western powers could benefit anyone but China, that man would be Boris Johnson. So we made the offer and Johnson said he was interested in coming on. But then a few hours before airtime, his publicist called to say that Boris Johnson wasn't coming. And that meant that Boris Johnson, reputed to be the smartest leader of any English-speaking country in the world, did not want to publicly defend his position on Ukraine. He was afraid to take questions about it. We found that disappointing, not just because we had assumed Johnson was more impressive than that, but mostly because it is a subject that badly needs to be debated. And soon, millions would die in the war that Boris Johnson is promoting. The public has a right to know, why are we doing this before it starts? And as you can probably tell, it looks like it's starting very soon. So that was our experience with Boris Johnson yesterday. Given all that, we were shocked, actually shocked, this afternoon to see Johnson show up at a neocon think tank called the Atlantic Council and say this. I've been amazed and horrified by how many people uh, are, t are frightened of a guy called Tucker Carlson. Has anybody heard of somebody called... Has anybody heard of Tucker Carlson? What's, what is it with this guy? Uh, he, he, everybody, everybody, all, these, all these wonderful Republicans seem somehow in, intimidated by his, uh, by his perspective. All these cowards in Washington are afraid of this show, Boris Johnson said derisively. Yet somehow he never mentioned that he is one of them. Again, we had just invited Johnson on this show hours before he said that. It was remarkable and remarkably dishonest. We knew that Johnson himself was a coward. We watched during COVID as he transitioned into a terrified old woman, but we had no idea he was also a liar. We should have known. There is no popular support in this country or in any country in Europe for what Boris Johnson is now pushing. Do you know where that came from? It came from Farage. No. Farage was the one. Farage went on Tucker Carlson's show 
and said uh, and started lambasting Boris Johnson, complaining about Brexit and stuff like that, saying that oh, he's, wow. a, he's a he's a globalist, whatever the hell that means. Then they challenged Boris to come on, and then Boris, uh, Boris Johnson. It's, I'm I'm falling <laughs> into the trap as well. They yeah, they challenged Johnson to come on, and Johnson, as you said, uh, when who who? <laughs> Obviously, he knows who he is, but it's uh, I'm not playing your game. Is it just you know? me or is the right wing gone soft? I mean, when it was the communist witch hunt and McCarthy trials in America, it was the right that were like, let's get to communists and take on Russia. And you sort of thought, historically, I've, I've thought that the right wing were the ones that were going to lead this type of stuff, you know, take on the, the evil empire or whatever it is. And now they all seem to be chicken. Like, Michael Farage is like, oh, we don't want to upset Russia. And Tucker Carlson's he's obviously the leading speaker in the US, at least on, on television for the right. It's like, oh, we don't want to take on Russia. And yeah. yet for, throughout the, the entire Cold War, the right were going, oh, don't want to be the left. They're soft on communism. And now it's like, oh, don't want to go with the left because they're too extreme against mad would... dictators in the East. You're, you're missing the culture war, you see, because there's a war going on and it's a culture war. It's, you know, it's us. We are the enemy. Well, anybody, actually. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are the enemy because we are woke uh, and uh, we are whatever, whatever we are, actually. Uh, yeah, are they soft? No, they're just large proportion of them have gone loony. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you can. You know, you can yeah. edit it out, or you can edit a better word in. You know, uh, you know. Uh, you're so you're so polite, David. Like I'm dropping <laughs> f bombs and c bombs, and you're like, is it okay if I say loony? Is that? <laughs> you know, I'm trying. Yeah, but I'm trying to I'm trying to con, con people con people here, just as you are, just as you're, you know, secretly Boris Johnson's agent, trying to, you know, you know, be, be a man of the people. Here, I'm, you know, secretly the uh, the bastard around here, but I'm trying to be polite, so nobody sure. will ever notice. Adrian, you wanted to say something. <laughs> He's speechless by this. Season. I can't remember what the fuck I was going to say. Oh no, 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 that's right. All right, so um, I would, I wouldn't count out as sort of cowardice or like you know we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, ruffle Putin's feathers. I wouldn't categorize it as that if I could explain it as that possibly these people are compromised. And I'm being very very careful with my language. Possibly, right. Because there's, I mean, I, I struggle to recall the exact, like, the specifics now, but wasn't there some talk about, like, Farage and, uh, was it Vote Leave or Be Leave, the one that he was fronting? Uh, and there was, wasn't there, like, Russian money going into that? And he's never really outwardly criticised so Putin. I believe, um, it's, it's, I believe it's the Washington Times claimed and alleged yeah. Aaron Banks got... In con uh, Russians got in contact with him, said invest in this company, which was a gold mine, That's and that right. that money that suddenly Aaron Banks put his money in, and then the shares went through the roof, mm. and then Aaron Banks sold that share portfolio in that gold mine, and then used that to invest in the Leave vote. Yeah. Now that's the allegation. Yeah. And that was from not myself. <laughs> it was from that was from the Washington Times. So I'm just reporting on reporting. Yeah, yeah. And that's how he was able to fund it. I mean, th there was this as well, because Guy Volsteiner came out and said that Brexit was part of Putin's plan. And it's yeah. like, yeah, no doubt. Like, it'd be great. Like, he, like, I said, this century, not last, this century, if Putin did do that, that would have been one of the greatest military strategies on a cheap, cheap price to do. Because yeah. if you knock out the economic 
foundations of the EU and destabilize it, they have less ability to be able to manufacture goods to support Ukraine, mm. which a lot of, again, the right seem to be going, no, it's nonsense. Why would he do that? Oh, it's always Brexit. Even Nigel Farage came out and said that uh, last night, I think it was, or this week. And you're going, he hates us. He's had eight wars. He's clearly expansionist. He wants a Russian empire, which he's clearly stated. He wants to renew it. And you all seem to be appeasing it, which is just shocking. I mean, it's almost like they don't learn anything from history. Sorry, David, do you want to say no, something? So many, many years ago, there was a lot to respond to there, but many years ago, a friend of mine, uh, used to, Australian uh, friend, used to say that he reckoned he could uh, buy uh, British democracy for 50 million pounds. And he has subsequently said in the last few years, he said he was wrong. Uh, the price was far too high. You could definitely buy yeah. it a lot cheaper than that. Yeah. And that is the theme running through our entire our, our entire discussion. I mean, look, we all, you know, I think over here we would all accept that Putin is a complete is a complete psychopath. Uh, are some people compromised? Have some people been taking money? Yes, yes. Did that, you know, I don't, I never like to get into the, and that made all the difference in 2016. I'm not sure it did. I don't know whether it did or it didn't, but, uh, you know, I think that's a separate point anyway from are people, are people compromised by, uh, by, by Putin? Has Putin been, you know, as well as being an evil psychopath, he's not complete, you know, he, he's not a complete fool about turning people. You know, he tried, he tried to push this whole thing that, you know, actually I'm, uh, you know, I'm bombing the shit out of, uh, of, of of Ukraine, but really it's those woke lunatics that uh, you know I'm I'm really I'm really bombing. Yeah, of course, because he's a mad psychopath, you know. So you know you've 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 got you've got that uh, you've got that situation. But yeah, it, running through all that strand is yes, we got some serious problems here, and yes, uh, you know. You should be you should be doing something about that. But instead, no. Anyway, look, we haven't even talked about this. You know, we, we're plotting Boris Johnson's comeback. Somebody else is plotting a comeback as well. Liz Truss is plotting a, 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 a comeback, and if people are or you know haven't already been put off their, uh, their 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 entire Sunday, and if they're not already kind of leaping out their windows and whatever, hey guys, Liz Truss is plotting a comeback because it worked so well last time that she's hoping last time with forty five days to ruin the country. This time, can I do it in twenty? <laughs> Going for a double severance check. Got to make that money. Did, did she get her was pension? She... Was she in Was she in in power enough to get a pension? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And she got uh, full security uh, detail. But we haven't seen the uh, these 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 lists of who's going to be uh, you know into the uh, in in into the House of Lords. We haven't even seen uh, Boris Johnson's resignation uh, list because they get to put people in the uh, House of Lords, even if you know you're only Prime Minister for ten minutes or something. You get yeah. to put a, a, a few people in the uh, in the in the House of Lords. So. Uh, one of you may be in that in that list. Who like, knows? I, I, don't, I honestly don't know how anyone can defend the idea that a prime minister can just send people to the House of Lords. Like, I'm completely against the House of Lords anyway. But no, just, I just want to come back to just a point that was raised there about about Putin. Something the the right love about him is that this anti woke thing. He's a tough guy. He's the you know the alpha male. This is somebody we should emulate. This is somebody who and and we see it like you know on the right in in the U.S. and and, and I'm pretty sure many people are compromised. But the you know the 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 culture war. They really are looking at Putin and this is you know this is what a president should look like. You know mm. you know and there's and I've seen a lot of misogyny on online towards, for example, some Eastern European. Um, prime ministers and presidents who are who are female um, you know, 
there's this idea that yeah he he's he's anti woke. Of course, he's using the language of the West. It's not it's not language in Russia. He's using the language of the West to divide people, and and you know he, I don't I don't believe it was necessary for Russian money to get Brexit over the line. But he thought, okay, there's an opportunity here to create division in Europe. And we see it also here, for example, in Italy, where there are uh, right-wing parties who were very friendly with Putin. And there are allegations, I don't know if there's evidence, but there are allegations that money came uh, from the Kremlin to support some of these parties. Uh, They've gone very quiet about it now since the war. But um, they were very supportive of Putin and they were welcomed to the Kremlin many years ago. There's been a number of comments made by the panel in regards to not knowing if that money would have been enough to get it over the line. Dominic Cummings said that that extra 500k that he had and the allegations that they had an extra 625, Dominic Cummings said that 500k was what got him over the line because they were able to hire Cambridge Analytica. Mm. So that's... and. It's really interesting because you'll normally you, on Twitter. I've had a few people turn around and say, "Oh, but da- uh, you know, um, David Cameron put out those leaflets that uh, some statistics suggest would give a, the Remain vote an extra three percent, which they sent out through the government, which caused an absolute furore." So some people say, "Well, that was cheating," but the th- that's old school techniques. Cambridge Analytica were able to target people either putting them off the vote which is disenfranchisement. And disproportionately, that was minority groups that they targeted. But there was also, um, which is outrageous on so many levels, that alone. But they were able to target swing voters and convince them that actually, you know, you've been disenfranchised, no one's listening to you, we're going to listen to you, put a bloody nose to the people in charge, even though really you're actually punching yourself in the face uh, by backing Brexit. Um, So there is... I mean, Cummings is saying that, that without that money, he couldn't have had Cambridge Analytica. There is a lot of evidence to show that, but it also showed how bad the Remain campaign was because they were using old school techniques to deal with modern mm. problems. I, I, I was going to, going to say, I mean, I, yeah, look, colour me sceptical, as I say, of that, of, mm. of, 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 a, of a lot of that. What I think can be no doubt, and I, I don't prefer to look back on 2016, never have done, but um you know if i ever look if i ever look back i uh, you know i i i do think that the uh, the remain ca- campaign was particularly hopeless and for those people who are campaigning to who want in the future to re to rejoin um i don't think they're doing a very good job yet either because um there are some people who want to to, to rejoin and I was like but they're still doing this whole kind of kind of Oh, we can rejoin, but we can still have everything we want. It's like, no, 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 the whole, you know, have we not, how do we not learn here that actually the world does not revolve around UK? If there's one thing we should have learned in the, in the last six, how long is it now? Six and a half years. The world does not revolve around us. You have to make your choice. You have to make your choices. And I still see there's far, UK politics is still dominated by, well, what if we pretend we can have absolutely everything we want? Well, if we're EU members, we're not EU members, whatever it is. You can't. Sorry. No, don't. No, it's, it's realism. But then there's an element of history being left over. People think the British Empire was brilliant, not exploitative and genocidal. <laughs> the evidence is quite against that. But that type of stuff is still left over and left in the in their minds of people. It's, it's been highlighted as a beautiful thing for some people. It was the greatest thing ever. You know, it was the thing that stopped Hitler. It's the thing that 
um, enlightened the world, brought democracy everywhere, improved everyone's financial system um, and economies. I mean, if you look at India, India's GDP never recovered after the British Empire. Yeah. I don't think it still has, which is which is horrendous to think. It was at a higher level and we shrank it. All um, hail the lava lamp. All hail the lava lamp. I've got I'm gonna end this on a happier note. I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna make you all king or prime minister for the day. And I'm gonna give you the power to affect the economy and do one thing to make the economy better. If you want, you can do two. If you can if you want, you can do two. David, would you like to would you like to go oh, first? I would like to go first. <laughs> Here, here, here am I. I've just been saying there is no one or two easy things that you can do to, uh, you know, to turn the to turn the economy around. And I'm being asked, what are the one or two easy things you can do to turn the uh, the economy around? I feel I'm uh, personally, the uh, personally got at here. Um, so, what we, you know, in in the in the spirit of uh, you know, in the spirit of uh, programs I used to. Uh, you know, we we used to watch the great the great Monty Python had the uh, sketch how to fix absolutely everything, how to bring about world peace, and it's uh, similar to that. What we need to do is we need to uh, find things that everybody in the world wants that we can uh, we can sell them and then sell produce and sell lots of those things to them. So that's the uh, the one thing, and that's very easy to uh, <laughs> to, uh, to to do in that spirit of uh, of, of of that Mo of that Monty Python sketch. Should we not be able to do it? I have now decided that the second thing i'm going to do is i'm going to ban podcast uh, part of the podcast regulatory act that i'm going to pass is to ban asking that question <laughs> um so that and and to uh, and that no simple questions are allowed and that everything has to be uh, endlessly debated uh by by old men like me um before it's actually allowed to uh, to happen so uh, so there we go that is the complete non-answer right well that's the end of the show then Bye, everyone. I'll give the other people a... Yeah, no, I would, no, I demand I have not heard enough nastiness from certain quarters, <laughs> uh, certain um, guests here. Adrian? <laughs> <laughs> what, what would I do to inspire growth? Um, I would get rid of all of the immigrants. Well, no, no, I would... Uh, I would... Okay, so the boring one, I would rejoin the single market. That seems quite obvious. Um, and then the second thing I would do... I, right, I think this is this is a hidden gem. It's not even that hidden. It seems quite obvious to me. I would legalize and like publicly fund the harvesting and selling of drugs. All drugs, like... or or any. But you're going really. I think so. Yeah, because you're going like... back to the glory days of the East India Company and and, and as a as a drug dealer. Right? <laughs> I like it. Retro. I like it. Well, I think we could frame it to everyone. We'd be like, yeah, it's like you know when when Britain used to be great. This is what we did. People would get on board with it. Wrap a Union Jack round it. They wouldn't keep the dicks limp. Do you know we sold more <laughs> opium to China than Escobar sold cocaine? We make him yeah. look like cheap as chips if you look at the, the tonnage. Yeah. Like, and he, he was able to finance submarines to smuggle coke into the United States. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a nobody compared to the East India Company selling opium to China. <laughs> Which is just, again, you know, British Empire was great. Um, yeah. <laughs> Max? Uh, mine is quite boring. Um, a, um, a transaction tax. So every time um, you know shares are bought and sold on on the stock exchange, there's there's a percentage that has to go to the state. I, I think we could make a lot of money doing that, um, and it wouldn't really impact um, you know on, on ordinary people, or or maybe a tax on the mega rich. You know, pay their fair. Maybe introduce a new tax rate. 
Mm. Alex? Podcasts? No. <laughs> Alex, what about yourself? How would you how would you fix everything in one go? So uh, HRT, I would I'd, I'd back all the recommendations within the HRT commission because there's a lot of women that need a lot of help. And if you wanted to be uh, money orientated, that would help a lot of women get back into the workforce. Um, that, that, that would be one thing. Um, if, if we if we just look at economic, I mean, there's a moral ethical reason to do all of that as well, uh, which of course the government shut down. I think they only took on fifty percent of the recommendations from the commission, mm. um, which was just shocking, um, but not surprising. And then another idea, I'll tell you what, because David made mention of this. This is quite an interesting one. He said you've got to make a product that can be sold all over the world. Microchips. I'd set up. I'd set up. Um, a system to help out with micro microchip production. Uh, as, as long as you don't have Taiwan... to export them, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to come up with something because Taiwan is our main manufacturer for microchips. And let's face it, China keeps saying they're going to do it and they probably are going to do it. And a lot of people predicting in the next three to five years are going to go and land in Taiwan. That will be the end of our microchip manufacturing and that will cause chaos. Because they don't have, I don't, Think they've got the technical expertise to run those factories they've got some of the worst microchip factories in the planet in terms of how they build and produce them um and that's partly down to their abysmal education system which is just rote learning and memorization but it would also put us in favor with the us because they need microchips being manufactured but interestingly uh i think it's the netherlands they're the ones that produce lasers uh, needed and required for the development of microchips. So there is the scope there, whether or not we could do it and whether or not we could sell or we could get people to drop their barriers for the sale of microchips. I think they would, but it just seemed crazy that Taiwan seems to be the, the, the main producer and we're not. And yet, you know, it's on the opposite side of the planet being threatened with invasion. Mm. But yeah, David, would you, would you, would you want to say it's something? It's somewhat more complex. Yes, it's exceptionally uh, complicated. I have to, I, look, I've got one actually uh, easier thing to, uh, to do that would make the country lots of money. And no one talks, because no one ever talks about the things we're good at or that we used to be good at. So we just had this one the other, the other day. The UK used to make lots of money from the fact that, uh, uh, you know, we had great music sector and we sold our, you know, music and culture and whatever around the world. What's happened to that? It's gone down the, uh, you know, it's gone down the path. And here's a weird thing. A lot of the, the some of the best music from, you know, when I was, when I was young, when obviously the music was best. Uh, but in the 80s, you actually had a lot of it was being paid for by government through these kind of youth opportunity scheme trading things, which got a lot of people laughing at them at the time. But actually, a lot of people used them to basically be in bands and make music which was sold around the world. So there you go. There is the most off off the wall suggestion is reintroduce the kind of youth opportunity scheme of the 1980s, get everyone to form bands and do what we used to do and basically find some more Beatles. Can I just ask... Oasis. Can I just That's ask... What, what was the... I've just, got to, I've just got to... I'll be very quick. Oasis. Yeah. They were on the dole. Yeah. And then they sold everything worldwide. So yeah. you're absolutely right. But MIT just released a document last week saying actually... Learning music is better for your increasing people's IQ than maths. And it's just interesting that you brought that up, considering Sunak turned around and was like, maths, maths, maths. And it's like, actually, it's music. And they just cut the funding. 
they cut it in November. So they offered 250 million and they've eradicated it in November mm. towards the music and the arts. So you're absolutely spot on, David. That would be that's, something. Go on, Adrian, last bit. That's, that's a really interesting, like, wouldn't it be fun to examine that stat? Like, is it that learning music raises your IQ or is it, as I suspect, smart people are actually just interested in maybe learning, <laughs> learning an instrument, uh, like they're already to, smart. According to MIT, it creates neural pathways that are unique. There really? are other ways of doing it. So mm. according to MIT, you can do it through chess and you can do it through golf. I have no idea why golf would do that, but it creates a specific set of neural pathways, which they uh, tested, I think on 6,000 people, those that did music and those that didn't as yeah. well as chess and golf, and they found this pattern. So you're like, wow. I mean, there's there's a hundred, a few other ways. On that note, though, we're out. Um, so right. I'm going to say, all hail the lava lamp. All hail the lava lamp. All hail the lava lamp. And on that note, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Cheers, guys. Thanks. All hail the lava lamp. Or I'll look forward um, to my deluxe model, uh, you know, arri arriving, uh, <laughs> you know, subject to uh, su su subject to delivery into uh, the UK. So uh, next year, perhaps. No, it's actually <laughs> it's based in the UK, so there's no worry. Unless, yeah, unless you move to the EU, you've got nothing to worry. Do you want a lava lamp? No. <laughs> Brutal. And that's going to be edited out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>